0: Hello everybody and welcome back to the Catch Kate podcast. This week we are on episode number seven of season three and we've been venturing a a bit around Europe and a bit in Ireland and um, this week I'm going to take you to the lovely Italia. Um, I went to Italy a um, couple of years back and I visited some lovely cities and places with the most amazing food, um, art, art was such a big thing there and yeah just the lifestyle in general so um, I'll take you a bit around there to the cities of Rome, Florence and the famous Venice, beautiful. And I also want to, I actually want to um, share with you a little bit of the book again that I have, if you've heard it on the podcast before, I shared it once, Um, The Secret, no sorry, (laughs) I'm after mixing up the book, it's called The Hidden Life of Trees, what they feel, how they communicate, discoveries from a secret world. And as this podcast is very centered upon nature, I love sharing little secrets that are all around us that we forget to notice and become aware of. So I suppose knowing and educating ourselves about the natural world allows us to see deeper into what's going on and how we are interdependent. Um, Yeah so there's a chapter on hibernation which is really cool and because we're in winter in the northern hemisphere I think it'd be lovely to look a bit at that. And I suppose just understanding ourselves compared to nature. Because we function in a a very masculine world of production, of constant go, of constant doing. And that's not what our bodies are designed for. Um, And even more particularly the feminine body which runs on a cycle. Um, a female cycle is you know 28 days there less and a male is 24 hours so we run on the male cycle in our world which is not it's not designed for us you know so I think looking at nature again looking at this book in particular hibernation in particular like we're in the winter season what should we be doing right now are we meant to be in mass production are we meant to be all go or are we meant to attune to our body and what our body is actually cyclically doing and I suppose for me being around the bees growing all of that and living around trees um, it's just amazing to witness because you see the falling back the peeling back the slowing down the decay um, and that's so important for us to do during winter absolutely necessary Um, so if you're in a state of go 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 doing pull it back just pull it back that's not what you're designed to do. And it's also important because when spring comes, that's when you're meant to leap forward again after a good long rest, a good long dormant winter. Not totally dormant, but, you know, don't go to sleep for like five months. But um, yeah, so that's something I want to look at as well. Um, the Hidden Life of Trees. And I hope you'll like that. And let me know if you've read it. I'd love to hear from you. And I love getting feedback. Um, so yeah, so let's head to Italy today and explore a bit and I also want to say thank you to the patrons before I start um who contribute um monthly payments to the to the podcast um which is fantastic and so appreciated um and all of your contributions are going towards my bee bee um my honeybee conservation work so you will be rest assured that it's going in a good place um and yeah it's amazing to you know when we think about subscriptions to things and I always think about this because when I started up the podcast I was like how is this even going to work and you know you look at things like um, Sky TV Netflix and you pay whatever I don't know five ten euros a month and um, you get access to all of that but where does that money go are you feeding are you feeding something positive you know because a lot of the time our money is going somewhere not good you know unless you're choosing companies and peoples and small businesses that are actually putting it into something worthwhile for ourselves and our planet so um I just wanted to point that out um because I myself have pulled back from putting money into certain things because I don't feel them it's not going to a good place um But yeah, I just wanted to let you know that, um, I do share my work with the bees online and that, that is where all of my money contributions have gone to and are going to. And I'm so excited for next year for more expansion for my bees and, um, yeah. And it's amazing because like one beehive is like 200 euros. So it's a lot like, you know, it's a lot of money, um, so I was able to use some of the contributions to get them, which is great. So that's a big thank you from me. So, guys, thank you to the patrons. If you can support, please hop on to Patreon and support and help me to keep this podcast going. If you've enjoyed it so far this year. Yeah, I would love to. Um, I would love to receive your support and keep me going. Thank you, guys. OK, so let's head for Italia. OK, so where did I go first in Italy? Um flew into the capital city of Rome and um, at the time like I could barely get accommodation I went there with um, two friends um, and yeah it was incredibly difficult I remember flying there and we had no accommodation and we were trying couch surfing we were trying everything but there was like this massive event going on in the Vatican um, to be honest I can't actually remember what it was but I just remember being at the airport seeing hundreds of priests and nuns and all sorts and it was just some massive event some holy event and I probably should remember it but I don't um so we were there at a time where there was just oh, I don't even know millions of people I'd say so big crowds um uh, big crowds and at the time I was actually living in France so we flew yeah we flew from France at the time um But it was crazy, Um, really crazy time, lots of people. But eventually we got an Airbnb and it was like an apartment up like, I don't know, 10 stories of a massive building. And it was just really funny. We had like, it was really dark in there. Like there was all these massive like wardrobes by the door. We couldn't even get in the door. Then the toilet was like really cramped and tiny and we had to like squeeze in the door. I remember the fridge was like full of stuff and there was other sorts of things in the house that I was like, this is not appropriate. Um, but yeah. It was difficult to sleep there. But um it it was fine. Like, you know, I did the job and we were lucky we actually got something, you know. So I suppose we spent our days wandering, eating getting I remember getting the coffee and the pastry and they used to drink the coffee like standing up on the street and I used to be like oh my god it's so Italian it was just lovely and yeah we used to go out and have pizza and um different things like that um but yeah so we did go to the Colosseum a day everybody knows the Colosseum um ancient theatre and it was amazing to just wander around in the buildings and just feel the history of it you know massive history um and yeah so and then like obviously get photos and stuff but just even like when we were in the building walking around I remember the cold inside in there and then you'd come out into the heat and get you know it's just it was amazing and then like you can remember all the movies like gladiator and stuff like that and it can just bring you back in time but yeah the time when I went as well it was so hot then in another moment we went out to the Vatican which was jammed it was jammed um and the queues were just incredible and we had queued up for the Sistine Chapel I never queued so long in my life I'd say maybe first yeah maybe for maybe for the Eiffel Tower though (laughs) but um you do that for things like that don't you So I queued up for the Sistine Chapel and of course we all know like how beautiful it is and you can look online the photos and yeah it was worth the wait definitely and and Michelangelo painted this massive artwork like on the ceiling beautiful. It took four years to do it which is like crazy but you know art takes time um, and yeah it was definitely worth it but I was completely like drained after like queuing all day in the heat millions of people and then obviously there was these ceremonies going on as well in the Vatican so it was just massive like and, and I'd, I'd be definitely more introverted so that kind of stuff would just knock me out for a bit you know Um not a city girl nope uh, but yeah definitely worth it to visit it though absolutely beautiful and and the design and the the intricate detail and all of it, it was amazing i remember as well i don't think we were allowed to take photos if i remember yeah yeah you weren't um protected and everything then another place we visited was the trevi fountain which is yeah there's, there's so many fountains in rome and you can drink from them and there's like there's so many like uh there's like hundreds and hundreds of them and they have some funny things there as well like even the cats they have like so many cats there as well. Like you just have cats together like lying down and like apparently cats have like these rights to be there. Like if there's five cats or more, they have like these squatters rights to where they're allowed to live. <laughs> it's just kind of funny. I suppose it's like when I was in Mexico, there used to be dogs everywhere. Like you could see like 10 dogs together and nobody owns them. And they're just there like they're their own free species. No owner, you know. But yeah. So, um, that was the Trevi fountain, and yeah, you put money into the fountain, you can make a wish if you want, and the fountain again, it was boiling um that day, and I remember trying to get a photo at it, and sure like there was me and you know a hundred other tourists in the photo, so it was a bit mad and then, of course, you can get your gelato, which are all around the city, and one place I went to in particular had like a Guinness world record for like. I don't know how many ice creams there were there like oh, there were so many flavours it was, it was a few hundred anyway a few hundred flavours of ice cream like and if you're anyway indecisive you're screwed because you're going to be looking and looking and looking but yeah they had one like Ferrero Rocher I was like oh my god this is divine amazing um, so yeah and the Trevi Fountain as well um, you can put money into it and apparently they get like 3,000 a day which is like a million a year and they give it to, like, local charity to f- to look after low-income citizens, um, which is quite good, you know, very charitable and very honourable. Um, but, like, imagine if we could do that for, like, all the low-income countries where there's starvation and, do you know, if we could all just put in a little bit, each of us, like, like everybody can spare a euro, you know. Anyways, um, yeah, the world, I think, would be a much better place if if we were able to share more and not have like you know because most of the wealth is centered among a few countries you know and it's just amazing when you see the planet and visit all these places you're like whoa the poverty um so yeah so if you're living in Ireland you're very lucky very 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 lucky um and I suppose for me traveling around to third world countries um it shook me like the poverty and them having nothing and it really brought me back to my necessary and um I suppose what's necessary in life like you know what do we actually need and what we actually need is acceptance love and and you know close ones and community and all of this we don't need all the other stupid stuff we think we need uh we don't need any of that that's actually just like short-term like fixes on our actually our inadequacies you know that we've learned to acquire so I suppose when we can like uh, reveal all of that and and kind of decode um, the programming that we were given that we're not enough and we have to keep buying um, we actually end up realizing that wow like I actually don't need any of this you know what I really need is like friends and family and loved ones and, and all of that community, you know, that's what it is at the basis. And that's what I learned from traveling the world, that, like, I would just meet these communities and they were so happy and they had nothing, like, nothing, like, tribes. And, like, I had the most joyful moments with them and just sharing, caring. They had so much love in their heart and they had nothing, like, you know. Some a pe- lot of the people, no shoes. And if they did, maybe like one pair, you know, there was none of this watches or timing things or appointments or, you know, they live differently, but they live from their heart, you know, which is which is hard to come back to if you live in a very egocentric society. So, yeah, so again, I suppose that's why I say nature is so important, because nature reveals who we are. And at the basis, we're actually very pure and raw and like if we follow our cycles we we don't we don't need any of the other stuff you know and I think as well once we stop feeding the corporations that benefit from all of this and are in power like and take our power back you know then we can really thrive as a planet but anyways um back to the uh, Trevi Fountain. Yes, it's absolutely fantastic that they gave the money to low-income citizens and I think we can really learn from that. Um, the other place I visited were the Spanish Steps. Um, absolutely lovely. Again, roasting hot. Get your gelato. Sit up on the steps. It's just these massive, like, wide, wide steps and just hordes of people just gather there and they sit down and enjoy drinks or music and there's a church there. And yeah, it's just a really pretty place as well um I suppose the next place I visited in in Italy was Florence so I actually trained it around Italy took a train from Rome up to Florence and Florence is in the Tuscany region absolutely beautiful beautiful um city I actually thought it was just so it was so aesthetically pleasing to the eye like everywhere you look everywhere you walk just beautiful churches bridges little tiny stores music um plazas and then the art museums there like incredible art like renaissance art um and the architecture just unbelievable but again i remember it was such a busy time when i went like we were queued up for one of the biggest like museums with the most you know uh, renowned artwork and we were queuing again, like it was incredible. The queues were quite a a bit of a nuisance, but you know they were worth it but the cla- the art there is world class so you know you're kind of you're do you're doing it for that um then again, and the whole city itself is actually a unesco site um so it's amazing, absolutely amazing um and then, like you have the a river that flows through the river Arno, and you've loads of bridges so you can go across the bridges and you can go into all these kind of, I remember we went into like a couple of jewelers and they were really nice. Um, yeah. Um, but the bridges are just super, like it's really romantic there. Like, so if you're in a, if you're a couple or something like that, it's really cute. Uh, very romantic. Um, and yes, actually did a hike there as well. There's actually, um, uh, it's, what is it called? It's like a, I'm trying to remember the name, but it's there's like a hike up the east side of the river and it's kind of named like Piazza Michelangelo or something like this. Anyway, it's to do with Michelangelo and um, it's yeah, it's basically this hike up a hill and you can get a perfect view over the city itself. All the architecture, cathedral, museums, bridges, river, like so gorgeous and you can watch the sun go down or the sun come up and um just so pretty and you get all these colors of pinks and yellows and reds and yeah so it's very pretty and I actually stayed in Airbnb there as well with my friends and yeah it was really cute and we actually went to a, oh, I remember we went to some kind of a disco there that was quite funny and yeah um I suppose because when I lived in France the town I lived in was full of like older generation people and I mean like maybe like 60 plus, 70 plus, like very, like a lot older than me at the time. Like I was 20 something. Um, and yeah, just that like we got there and there was like some disco and we went out and we had drinks and we were dancing and I was like, oh my God, like I haven't gone to like, I don't even know, was it a nightclub? I don't know what it was, but it was so much fun. But like sure the next morning, ah, oh, we were just like, oh my God, what's going on? And then you're trying to just eat pizza and get over it get over the hangover you know um but yeah it was fun as well like you know to ha- to go to a nightclub in in Florence and listen to all the tunes um yeah so the last place I went to in Italy was Venice and Venice obviously is world famous as well um and yeah, very romantic, like so romantic, It was so funny because I was there with my two friends and we were just kind of like, right, or no, was it one of my friends? I think maybe it was maybe it's just two of us at this stage. I'm trying to remember. But like we took a train over from Florence again and it was just so romantic. So if you're if you're heartbroken, don't go there because it was like it was like every single person we saw was a couple, a newlywed uh fiancés I don't know what you'd call them um so we were kind of the we felt a bit like what's going on here because we were in the gondolas we were in the boats and we were like the two of us were just watching all the lovely you know romantic couples so it was kind of funny um but we got on with it uh I think we were just a bit surprised at the start um um but sure why not celebrate love in the most romantic place in the world um, but yeah, loads, again, load, built on canals. Absolutely. Like, I actually thought, like, because I'd been to so many countries, I was like, this place is super unique. Um, and it's like thousands, or sorry, not thousands, hundreds of small islands. Um, and it's just, when I came out, when I came back from there, I was like, wow, I haven't been to anywhere like that before, ever. And when you witness something like that, you're like, whoa, like, it really impacts you because you can go to, most European cities and you'll find similarities but Venice is like completely different. It's so different how everything is built um, and structured and it's incredible. Um, So the gondolas themselves like they're they're actually really expensive. Um, So you have to be willing to have money to be going around there. And I remember one guy saying like they earn like 150k a year like they earn so much money. You know, for driving the boats, Um, and it's just incredibly unique to be inside in your house looking out, and you are like on water. It just it actually kind of blew my mind. I still don't really understand it. I am like, how are we? Is this just on water? And then the water, like you'd be having dinner at the restaurant, and if the water comes up, you are kind of going into the water, and it's like, what am I floating? Um, So really unique. Definitely, definitely worth a visit because it's just so different to anywhere else. And if you've travelled a lot extensively, it's so nice to visit somewhere so different um again loads of gelato gelaterias, amazing and um yeah be ready to eat ice cream every day um or gelato or whatever you want but um the seafood as well there was amazing I remember going to some restaurants and um yeah I remember sitting we sat amongst like I'd say 10 or 15 newlyweds it was so funny um and me and my friend were there and the waiters were so lovely and they came out and they they gave us these fish and the fish were like massive. Like the seafood there is amazing. And they like deboned the fish in front of us, which was like it was kind of like an artwork in itself. Um, I'll never forget it. I was like, whoa, that was really cool. Um, <clears throat> and then I suppose another thing to mention while I was there was the um, Murano glass. Um, we actually kind of fell in love with this glass. Um, so, there's an island off of Venice, well, you know, one of the Venetian kind of islands, and um, it's called Murano. And what they do there is glass making. And I myself now have earrings made from Murano glass. And my friend, I think she had bought like, um, I don't know, were they actually glasses like to drink from, or was it a necklace or something? But it's world renowned handcrafted glass and it's incredibly unique like you can look it up online as well Um, but it's incredibly unique for the glass blowing process and they they actually blow it by mouth and then they they do it by hand as well Um, and it's made from silica And they add in soda and lime. And then it's obviously heated to high temperatures like in a furnace. And then they use these like tools that have been used since ancient times to, you know, mold it. Um, And then they add in like silver and gold or whatever. But it's really, really unique. And anytime I wear my earrings from there, like everybody always comments on them. They're like, whoa, where did you get those earrings? Um, Absolutely gorgeous. It's well known for its colors, textures, techniques. Um, and very, very unique. Um, So yeah, if you do go there, I didn't take a trip to Murano. You can actually take a boat out there and visit the Murano Island. You can go to the museum. You can buy the glass. You can buy the glass in the jewellers there as well. Um, And it's really beautiful. And a real keepsake. Anytime I put them on, I always, I cherish them, you know. Um, I did have another pair, which, they kind of got lost, but... Yeah, I love the ones that I have. Uh, Big glass and they're kind of like, I don't even know what colour they are. Like sometimes they look a bit greeny, sometimes they look a bit bluey. I'm like, are they turquoise? But they're amazing. I love them so much. Um, Yeah, and again, Venice. Venice was like very packed as well. Um, But again, loads to visit, museums, churches and just wandering down the streets and like seeing water everywhere. Water, water, water. And you're just like, whoa, am I on a floating island? um so yeah definitely worth a visit and super cool place so guys that was Italia um I hope you enjoyed um Rome Florence Venice can easily be done on a trip there um can easily be done even you know a couple of weeks um even faster if like you know what you want to do um but just in case you do have like minimal annual leave like it's definitely doable beautiful country and taking the trains allows you to really see the countryside and life that Italy has to offer um and always get into a gondola don't don't forget to do that so basically i wanted to share with you the book um the hidden life of trees so there's one chapter on hibernation and i just wanted to give you a bit of um an extract from it and um yeah i hope you'll enjoy so 136. It's late summer and the forest is in a strange mood. The trees have exchanged the lush green in their crowns for a washed out version verging on yellow. It seems as though they are getting increasingly tired. Exhaustion is setting in and the trees are waiting for the stressful season to end. They feel just like we do after a busy day at work ready for a well-earned rest. Grizzly bears hibernate and so do dormice. But trees, do they experience anything that could be compared to our nightly timeouts? The grizzly bear is a good candidate for comparison because it follows a similar strategy to trees. In summer and early fall, it eats to lay down a thick layer of fat it can live off all winter. And this is exactly what our trees do as well. Of course, they don't feed on blueberries or salmon, but they fuel themselves with energy from the sun, which they use to make sugar and other compounds they can hold in reserve. And they store these under their skin, just like a bear, because they can't get any fatter. Only their bones, that is to say their wood, can grow. The best they can do is fill their tissues with food, and whereas bears can go on eating everything they can find, at some point the trees get full. You can see this very well, especially if you look at wild cherries, bird cherries and wild service trees any time after August. Even though there are many beautiful sunny days they could make use of before October, they begin to turn red. And what that means is that they are shutting up shop for the year. The storage spaces under their bark and in their roots are full. If they made more sugar there would be nowhere to stash it. While the bears happily go on eating, for these trees, the sandman is already knocking on the door. Most other tree species seem to have larger storage areas and they continue to photosynthesize hungrily and without taking a break right until the first hard frosts. They then too must stop and shut down all activity. One reason for this is water. It must be liquid for the tree to work with it. If a tree's blood freezes, not only does nothing work, but things can go badly wrong. If wood is too wet when it freezes, it it can burst like a frozen water pipe. This is the reason most species begin to gradually reduce the moisture content in their wood, and this means cutting back on activity as early as July. But trees can't switch to winter mode yet, for two main reasons. First, unless they are members of the cherry family, they use the last warm days of late summer to store energy. And second, most species still need to fetch energy reserves from the leaves and get them back into their trunk and roots. Above all, they need to break down their green colouring, chlorophyll, Into its component parts so that the following spring they can send large quantities of it back out to the new leaves. As this pigment is pumped out of the leaves, the yellow and brown colours that were there all along predominate. These colours are made of carotene and probably serve as alarm signals. Around this time, aphids and other insects are seeking shelter in cracks in the bark where they will be protected from low temperatures. Healthy trees advertise their readiness to defend themselves in the coming spring by displaying brightly coloured fall leaves. Aphids and Co recognise these trees as unfavourable places for their offspring because they will probably be particularly vigorous about producing toxins. Therefore, they seek out weaker, less colourful trees. But why bother with all this extravagance? Many conifers demonstrate that things can be done differently. They simply keep all their green finery on their branches and thumb their noses at the idea of an annual makeover. To protect its needles from freezing, a conifer fills them with antifreeze. To ensure it doesn't lose water to transpiration over the winter, it covers the exterior of its needles with a thick layer of wax. As an extra precaution, the skin on its needles is tough and hard and the small breathing holes on the underside are buried extra deep. All these precautions combine to prevent the tree from losing any significant amount of water. Such a loss would be tragic because the tree wouldn't be able to replenish supplies from the frozen ground. It would dry out and could then die of thirst. In contrast to needles, leaves are soft and delicate. In other words, they are almost defenceless. It's little wonder beeches and oaks drop them as quickly as they can at the first hint of frost. But why didn't these trees simply develop thicker skins and antifreeze over the course of their evolution? Does it really make sense to grow millions of new leaves per tree every year, use them for a few months and then go to trouble of discarding them again? Apparently, evolution says it does. Because when it developed deciduous trees about 100 million years ago, conifers had already been around on this planet for 170 million years. This means deciduous trees are a relatively modern invention. When you take a closer look, their behaviour in fall actually makes a lot of sense. By discarding their leaves, they avoid a critical force. Winter storms. So guys, that's an extract from the book on hibernation. And it's just so vital that we recognise how nature works. And you hear about it like how they discard the leaves and, and, and they go into rest um, to really... uh hold all that energy so what we do as humans we soak up soak up soak up like trees all of the sun's energy and you know anything we eat as well vegetables and fruits remember they're all coming from the sun's energy that's why it's vital we even eat the proper food like eating crisps and chocolates like that that's not really the sun's energy like you need to get food that has soaked up day in day out all that sun's energy Because you're taking that in and your body is powered by the sun. So that's where energy and life force comes from. And that's how you feel alive when you're taking in the sun's energy. And, you know, it's just it's just becoming aware of what makes us feel alive, because a lot of us feel very dull and low in energy. Um, And yeah, like going into the woods, breathing in all of the trees components all of their um yeah the the I suppose we can't actually see it but the trees give off certain um waves of uh like uh energy waves and we breathe that in and it's all happening at a microscopic level that we can't even see you know like all this energy exchange oxygen carbon nitrogen you know like it's all happening but we can't see it you know and that's essentially what your body is being made of. Um, carbon and all of it. And yeah, just eating fruit and veg. Um, taking in the sun's energy as always, the sun's light and and it's so important in winter that we get out and we get in that light, especially at dawn and dusk, taking in, taking out, and just getting that light. Because if you're not, you're not gonna feel powered, you're gonna feel like slow and rest, you know, unrested and stuff. Um so yeah that's just a bit about that um practice being like nature that's what it is um but yeah like for me then the sea like swimming every day like that's what makes me feel alive then so if I feel a little bit slower like going into the sea is amazing for um just pumping me up getting my circulation going and it's so funny because before I go in I feel a bit chilly and then I go in and I feel like I'm so hot I'm like oh my god I'm roasting now And that's all to do with the natural painkillers that are released during the swim session. So just remember, like going into the sea, your body at first is in pain and you can feel it. You can feel the cold. It's numbing. And next thing, your body releases the chemicals for, you know, anti-pain, like painkillers, your natural ones that are in your body. Um, And if we could only recognize that we actually have them in us, like they're not fabricate, you know, people fabricate them in factories to take but you actually have them in you. Your body has that innate capacity to heal and prevent pain and, and numb pain. Um, but yeah, something interesting. Um, another thing I actually wanted to end on was to say thank you for all the purchase of my book. I've been sending the book to Chile, up like different places in Ireland and Australia. Um, it's been so lovely. And I also had to restock in Ballymaloe. So thank you everybody who purchased in Ballymaloe. Um, and if you are looking for a book or a gift for Christmas, um, pop me a message or you can buy off my website. Um, it's been great to actually write messages for people. Um, a lot of young people actually have had requests for young girls who are like seven or even 15 or older, 20 odd. And just like writing inspirational messages in the book and um, yeah, just being able to inspire Um it's a wonderful thing and I'm really grateful that I can have an impact so if you're looking for a gift for a loved one um pop me a message and I would be more than happy to personalize the book for you and and write that message um, and you never know how could it change your life or what piece of information you might pick up and you know it's important that we share our light and we share our stories because we need inspiration in the world um there's a lot of nonsense going on so um we need to hear good stories and positive stories of impact and yeah I just want to say thank you for coming on the podcast and listening to it and um, I actually had another review this week off a girl Fiona an old friend I met in France and she only just started listening to the podcast and she told me she was on El Salvador and she just couldn't believe the stories and she was like I feel like I'm catching up with you on the podcast you know and she just said she's been sharing it now with all her friends who are into the environment as well and travel and just the message I'm trying to put out of nature, like this is us and if we don't act now, like we're actually, unfortunately, creating our own suicide and that is the harsh reality we must face and that's what pushes me to act every single day. Um, I'm going to do the best I can uh, while I'm here and have an impact um, so I hope you can too and um, even if you don't feel like you are like even educating yourself with me here on the podcast like you are. So just trust in that. Um, so thanks again to the patrons. Uh, I'll finish up now um, for finishing for contributing to the podcast. If you can I would love to receive your support and just help me um, financially to keep going especially over the Christmas season Um while things dwindle down a bit and um yeah and if you don't want to do a monthly a monthly subscription you can contribute a once off like a like a once off kind of monetary contribution and um that would be great because if you have got something from this this year um yeah it would be great to get a thank you for that um and keep me going because it gives me great encouragement when i when i do receive that Um, and yeah, so guys, I'm wishing you a lovely day, a beautiful weekend, write down all your Venice tips. Um, keep note that your nature, you're meant to be in hibernation, but still move your body, still move your body, of course, but just know that you're in a, you know, kind of a decay rebirth process and it's all natural and you're natural. Um, yeah. So guys have a wonderful weekend. Ciao.